Welcome to the Coaching DNA Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Wyckoff. I'm also the founder of Kingdom Coaching, my consulting business in which I coach leaders. My guest this week is Todd Brown. Todd is the baseball coach at the University of New Mexico. During part one of my conversation with Todd, we discuss keys to taking over a new program, the importance of developing your athletes, effective delegation, and much, much more. Todd is entering his third year at the University of New Mexico. So without further ado, my conversation with Todd Brown. Todd, thanks, man, for hopping on. Love to hear you walk us through your journey from high school to present day. Travis, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I was an Air Force brat, moved all over, um, landed in my sixth city just before I started eighth grade in Tucson, Arizona. Wow. And um, went on to Sabino High School. I played varsity golf as a freshman and found out that I wasn't going to be good enough. <laughs> and uh, played football in the fall, um, soccer in the winter, and baseball in the spring and summer. Um, I was a baseball player that just liked playing other sports. And so uh, had, a, had a good career in all those sports, and but baseball was, was it for me. Um, had a chance to go play at the University of Arizona for Jerry Kendall. Obviously, a storied program. I was very fortunate um, to get an opportunity there. Didn't play much my first two years, one of those being a redshirt year. Then years three, four, five were, were really fun for me. Um, uh, was kind of a situational left-handed pitcher on a 92 Pac-10 championship team. And then was our closer in the 93 team that just came up short um, to go into the College World Series. 94, we lost a lot of players, was a struggle. Um, but just a, overall, just a great experience, a lot of great friends, a lot of great memories. Um, signed an, actually with an independent team, went undrafted, signed with an independent team just to Hey, let's go play for the summer before reality hits that uh, I need to go find a job. Had a good year that summer and in the offseason actually got a chance to sign with the Cleveland Indians and go to spring training. And I quickly found out, uh, you know, that there's a lot of good players. Um, you know, Bartolo Colon was 19 years old, throwing 98 miles an hour. And I was like, oh, boy, I'm in serious trouble. And um, ended up having Tommy John surgery working through all that, trying to come back. And, uh, you know, I really didn't know what I want to do. I had my degree. So when when I got released from the Indians and and my, my playing career was over, um, I was married, no kids, and was in the mall after Christmas, before New Year's. Uh, my wife had some, some things to return, that sort of thing. And I'm just sitting there kind of moping. My baseball career's over. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I run into my high school chemistry teacher who is now a counselor at the same high school my wife and I graduated from. He said, I, th I think you need to uh, come out and see me after New Year's. I said, okay. So it was Monday after New Year's at 7 a.m., met him in his office. And on Tuesday, I started my coaching career. And it was pretty unbelievable that I could by chance run into him, uh, Bruce Johnson, and I started out as a teacher's aide, would pull kids out. My degree had nothing to do with education. And I was just on the fly. Then after about two weeks, the one of the teachers I was working for resigns. 
I become a long-term sub. I'm coaching varsity baseball as an assistant coach. Um, at night, I'm going to night school to try to get my teaching certificate. Uh, we win a state championship. We had Chad Sislak was throwing 94, 97 miles an hour, um, projected a top two, three round type pick. Um, my second year, J.J. Hardy was our starting shortstop as a freshman. Um, I coached two years of high school. And I think we had nine guys eventually sign a professional contract. Three of those turned into big leaguers. And um, I was like, this coaching stuff's easy. And um, so I'm teaching full time, coaching football, you know, chaperoning the prom, doing all those things. And Jerry Stitt, the hitting coach when I was a player at Arizona, is now the head coach at, at Arizona, offers me the volunteer job. So I go do that for a year and a half. And then this is the crossroads for my coaching career is I was in a position and it's changed since then, um, just here recently, being the volunteer assistant, making no money and can't recruit, can't, there's a lot of things I couldn't do. And I was like, do I hold on and wait for an opportunity to move up the ladder here with no experience doing it? Or do I go and go to a school where I can cut my teeth? So I ended up um, leaving Arizona, a power five job in, in my hometown. Um, cause I felt like I needed to go away to come back. And I go to Bowling Green State University, Danny Schmitz, uh, unbelievable coach, um, learned so much from him. Uh, I go there as a recruiting coordinator, uh, pitching coach as the number one assistant. And I thought two, three years, we'll be back in Arizona and eight years, two kids, a dog, um, interviewed at ASU, U of A a couple times, uh, Fresno State for their pitching jobs, never got them. And then I said, well, now I'm in my mid-30s. I need to start looking at head coaching jobs. And North Dakota State came available and took that. And North Dakota State at the time was in just finished year three of a five-year transition from D2 to D1. Um Averaging 12 wins a year in the in the Division One era, uh, so it was a really tough job. And we went there, got to work. Um, you know, 15 games, 16 games, 22 games, and by the time that our first recruiting class were seniors, we went 40 and 20, and that was really satisfying. This it it took three and a half years for it to turn into a competitive team and to get through all the kinks. But from year during halfway through year four, it started to click. Year five was unbelievable. And the last 10 years were very satisfying. Uh, went to a couple of regionals in our last year. Um, my 14th year there, which turned out to be my last year, went 42 and 19, won a, won a game in the Stanford regional against the Mountain West uh, winner, Nevada, which led me to this job. Um, got hired at the University of New Mexico in the summer of 21. And this is uh, year three for us here. A um, lot better shape than what North Dakota State was, but we all have our issues that we're working through and, and trying to get things back on track uh, to be more competitive. And we're, we're our kids are in college now, um, and we're, we're kind of back in the Southwest. My wife and I, empty nesters here in Albuquerque and enjoying life and, and trying to get this thing turned around and, and get it going. Love it. Thanks for walking us through that. Uh, talk about Jerry Kendall. What 
Yeah, what'd you learn from him? What what, what makes him, what made him so good? I'd say he, he you you think about his journey. He was obviously a superstar at University of Minnesota as a player. Actually played basketball as well. Ten year major league vet goes back to be an assistant coach for the Gophers and gets hired as the head coach of Arizona as an assistant coach at Minnesota. That that's really really uh, unusual. And he was such a great fundamentals hmm. coach. Um, I think I still, in fact, when I was at North Coast State competing against the Gophers, you saw a lot of uh, the same things we do with the Gopher program because of D Dick Siebert and John Anderson kind of rolling that in. Jerry Kendall had kind of the same thing. So there's a lot, you can see a lot of Minnesota, a lot of Arizona, a lot of North Dakota State in my New Mexico team. Um, simply because of of Jerry Kendall and his staff was unbelievable. Jim Wing was my pitching coach, who's really the reason why I got a chance to go there. Jerry Stitt um, became head coach, uh, you know, later on and hired me. Just an unbelievable staff, but um, he was a great leader of men, hmm. um, very disciplined. You know, if you were if he heard you cussing, you were going to run, that sort of thing, um, and. What I always cherished was how honest he was with the players, and he was brutally honest, and he didn't sugarcoat it, and that's kind of still my personality because I, I enjoyed that. I, I wanted, I didn't want somebody to tell me how great I was when they knew deep down that I needed to do these other things in order to help me, mm. and I felt like he was brutally honest, um, not in a mean way, but he he just told you exactly what everybody else was thinking. Um, you've taken over two programs, North Dakota State, New Mexico. You're, you're sitting with a, uh, a person who's just got hired. What advice would you give this person, um, having gone through two, you know, taken over two, two programs? Yeah. What advice would you give that person? What, what, what have you learned? What, 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 how do you view that? You've got to do it your way is I, and it sounds, uh, maybe too simple to be true. But sometimes you get caught up into what's already there and what the players already know and, and, and leaning into doing it their way instead of doing it your way. And that's one of the things that it, it was very uh, frustrating and rewarding at the same time until we started winning at North Dakota State because that was my first time turning around a program. You just didn't you, – you doubted whether it was going to work. Sure. You just didn't know. You know, we're up north. Uh, we're isolated. We played on the road for nine straight weeks every year to start the season, our first 30 to 35 games on the road. Mm. You just didn't know how it was, if it was going to work. And once it worked, now, now it's really easy for the next class to buy into what you're doing. And, you know, we have a little bit of that here at New Mexico is this is the old way. This is the way we want it done. It's hard for me to change when you know, it's been successful. And so now, now it's in year three, it's really starting to come together of guys know when they come to practice, how we expect them to practice, how we, how we change in our grouping. Um, when we enter squad, why do we do it this way versus that way? All those things are, the buy-in is a lot more. And it's from year one to year two, we made a nice jump. And now we're trying to do it again. If we can make one more jump like we did from one to two, 
to two to three, we're going to be in really good shape. Yeah. What would you, I'm going to stay on this topic a little bit more. Um, cause as you were, as you were sharing, I had this thought, um, when you take over a program, there's just a lot to do. I mean, it is, you're, you're most of the time coaches are taking over a program in the middle of the, the heaviest recruiting season. Obviously now you've got the transfer. I mean, there's just, there's a gazillion things. How, if, if you had to help a, a person taking over a program, you're giving them advice. What are the priorities that you're like, do this, this, and this seriously focus on these three things or focus on these two things or focus on these four things. What would the priority list for you uh, as far as giving advice to somebody? Number one is you have to get your staff and, and the guys that you trust around you immediately. And for me, John Coyne was here, and he was a great recruiter, did, did a great job. We spent multiple phone calls, and I retained him because, for one, he had access to all of our players, and they really enjoyed him. And so getting him on board saved a lot of our best players from leaving. Or if they were in the portal, they got out of the portal and came back. And number two is you, ha you have to get on the phone immediately with your current team and find a way to earn uh, their trust and your vision. And hopefully it's it works out that you can retain um, because the, the transfer portal, is it's a real thing and there's, there's pros and cons to it. But when you take over a program, it, it really is difficult because you might end up with some early mistakes. You might end up with six or eight players um, and need to go out and get 35 players, and you only have about eight, 10 weeks. And I think staffing is critical, and uh, that that was a challenge at North Coast State. We had to advertise it, and it had to sit open 30 days before. So the first 30 days, I was by myself hmm. on a 12-win team, and I finally hired David Pearson, unbelievable um, recruiter person, um, and it was just the two of us. Uh, what was it? Two weeks before opening uh, or first day of school, we had 17 players on a roster and we were out of scholarship money and there was no transfer portal back in those days. And so um, you can really make an impact. If you get a new job, say in the middle of June, you can really by August 1st, you can really make a save your best players. And there's a ton of good players still out there at the junior college level. Um, few high schools that have been overlooked because of the crowdedness and then the transfer portal, you can change your dynamics of a team like that if you get the staffing right and earn the trust of your current team. Love that. That's really good. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to play off what you said. You said, you know, getting on the getting on the phone, trying to basically re-recruit your current team. And yep. you mentioned trust and vision as you what are as you think through your culture and the way you want to run a program, what are your, what are your values? What, what, what would that vision look like? What are you telling these young people? Yeah. You know, leadership is, it's a vision and a plan. You've got to sell your vision and plan. Um, you've got to earn the trust of, of your players. You've got to identify that how you're going to help them. And then you have to hold them accountable and, um, and, you know, pushing the life after baseball, um, pushing the academics and your philosophies, um, how every aspect of your program is going to help them 
throughout the next 60 years is we're not just here because you're a good baseball player. We care about your academics. We care about your social life. We care about, because once you have their trust and you show that, and we do care for, we care deeply for our players is once they earn that, uh, you earn that trust from your players, those guys will run through a wall for you. But if they're always doubting the head coach and the assistant coach's intentions, do they have my best interest um, in mind? Then you're always going to have, well, when you go to change their swing, when you go to change their pitching mechanics, they're always going to be doubtful. And earning the trust is the number one thing. What um, If I were to ask your players, what would they say or – Maybe I should say, what, what do you hope they'd say? What what would you <laughs> say are like, these are the values that we, this is what Coach Brown talks about over and over and over. What are those couple things that, that, that you know, probably probably behind your back in the locker room, they're mimicking how you're talking about these three or four things oh, yeah. like players do, which by the way, now you know you got through to them as they're doing that. What are the things that they would say Coach Brown talks about this nonstop? Um. I think guys would say I probably talk to them about their academics way too much um, because it's it's real. Um, you know, we're on partial scholarships. Somebody's helping bridge the gap there. And I, I I just I don't want to see them regret. For one, we have so we need to keep them eligible and on track to graduate is number two is there there's somebody in their family or or somebody's racking up debt. And I don't want to see that wasted. Um, gosh, what a darn shame when guys just don't succeed academically and they spend thousands of, of their own dollars to to have this opportunity and they just waste it. So I talked to them nonstop about their classes and their academics and their off the field activities. Um, baseball wise fundamentals. I get really frustrated when guys, you know, are, you know, infielders fielding ground balls and transferring it from their glove to their hand in between their legs. That's the new thing now, I guess. Um, you see, you see that all the time when guys are just taking mass fungos on their own, it's just fundamental because when the game speeds up and it does speed up every level you go, it speeds up on And if those fundamentals are not there, your game is going to break down, uh, the timing. Um, so fundamentals and doing the right footwork, um, especially for our position players. And, you know, the other thing is when they work, having a plan is not not a lot of screwing around, a lot of focus. If, if guys are focused, um, they're creating good habits. Good habits lead to good play. Good play, in, you know, as you come together, ends it equals a lot of wins for the team. Yeah. And we talk a lot about the team. Is, is I know it's an individual sport. You played individually, but as a group, you've got to come together and, and teamwork and don't do, you know, it, it – it really comes down as, as simple as how do you wear your uniform? I like guys wearing, everybody should look the same on the field. When we travel, everybody should look the same and not let one person wear purple shoes and that wouldn't match our, our scheme, our colors. Is, is Yes, I, want, I like a bunch of individuals and I'm not trying to take away their individuality and their personality, but when we're on the field, we want to look like a a baseball team that is together. Hmm. I'm, I'm going to break, I'm going to break 
very generally, I know there's tons of nuance to this, but I'm going to break it down into three three categories. And I would love for you to rank these three categories on on the the one that you like, the one that that you thrive in the most, and then descending order. So you've got recruiting. the The next one would be like that that um, uh, like the 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 strategy slash the 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 player development the biomechanics the getting into the getting in the cages with hitters getting in the bullpen with with pitchers and then strategy dream so that kind of bucket and then the third bucket would be the the team building the culture building the uh yeah that that side of things so those three categories um obviously i know that as a as a leader as a head coach you got to do all three i get that but i'm always curious the wirings and what what do you lean to? What's the one that just kind of comes naturally? Like I was on a, on a call earlier today and this coach, it just comes, he just, he, he is not like a huge cage guy. He, he's more of a recruiting guy. He's a head coach. He, it just kind of comes natural. Um, so yeah, I'll let you rank those order and kind of what comes natural to you. I think the development piece for me is, is what, and it is because I was probably a below average Pac-10 talent. But how did I get on some really good teams and and contribute is because of all the other stuff that I the side stuff, the fundamentals, the paying attention to detail as you know holding runners and fielding your position, a lot of things that um, you know you need to work on. And so and then and then in my coaching career, um, obviously Arizona is a very attractive place when I was a, vo- a volunteer assistant, but then you go to Bowling Green, you know, there was 24 schools that were within a four-hour bus ride of Bowling Green. So you were not getting the the best of the best. We, we were all splitting kids. And then North Dakota State is so isolated and up north, we had to project. We had to do a great job of projecting and developing in order to build those championship teams. And so that's one of the things that I always thought. And that's what attracted me to New Mexico. I think we're getting... Um, in this area, there's a lot more talent and that is more experienced than than northern kids. And that's not to take away from the different regions, just the reality guys around here have been playing baseball longer and, and more more year round type baseball. And so I was like, what if we could get the more taking the development side that has proven over the last 22 seasons I've been gone and bring that into a and you're getting a some more polished kids right away is using those same hardcore fundamentals development piece is, and we're starting to see it. We're starting to see some guys that have, that are really good high school players, but sticking with the, with the plan and developing them just like we were up North. And, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of positive results with that. Um, that that's strategy and development that, that is, that is key um, for, for our success. So that's one, what would be two, uh, recruiting, you know, it's just really hard to, it's, it's hard to win when you just don't have the horses. Um, everybody will say is how come you were this year, you had a really good year and that year, well, those guys graduated and all of a sudden we're back to square one. And, And that happened a lot for us is we would have, guys that would be three-year starters and then by the time they left you know 
it, we would take a step back more of a 500 team and then rebuild and then make a run for a two, three year span, take a step back, back to 500. And that, that cycled through and the recruiting piece is, is critical. It, I would put that number two. And then team building is something that um, it, t- it takes a lot of time. Um, I, w- I wish, honestly, we could do more activities to do that stuff. I see other programs doing that. Um, but I think developing and recruiting, it, it takes a lot of time. And, and I think some of that is just naturally happens over the years. Like we just got a ping pong table in our locker room. And these guys are having little mini tournaments on their own. That that just brings guys together. Guys are actually coming to the locker room a lot earlier so they can figure out how to play ping pong and try to beat this guy. Those are things that are just naturally coming together, team building. Yeah. So uh, walk me through the the, the tension because I I think I'm I'm just thinking of, of a few coaches that that I know that especially early on there's this tension of like. Um, to to your to your number one that idea of like the strategy but you talked a lot about the 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 fundamentals and so i'm envisioning you like in the cages loving working with the hitters and you know i, I maybe maybe you're in the bullpen more but i i envision that so you've got that but also now that you're a head coach there's also the the facilities meeting and the donor meeting and you've got all these other big picture how do you navigate because you're because you're wired like for for development and like man let's work with these guys let's get in the bullpen let's get in the cages and yet also navigate the the bigger picture you got to lead a program how do you navigate that good assistance um i i think the the key is having assistants that are different from you you have as a leader i think you have to evaluate what your strengths and weaknesses are and it's very, to be honest with you, it's very difficult because you don't want to be critical of yourself, but you need to get in a room alone and have that thinking time, laying in bed, whatever it is. And you need, you need to say, you know what, to be honest with you, when I rank up against other, this, this is where I'm not good at. And I need to find assistants that are good at that. For me, I'm, I'm more reserved. I'm not the loudest guy in the room. I'm not the most social guy in the room. I need somebody in on my staff that is that energizing bunny Mm. that that guy that is high on life all the time um i'm i'm just and i think some of that it's just my personality right over over a long period of time but i was never the best player growing up but at the end of the year i always had the best stats and the most wins and the and the best batting average but i was never looked at as the best player so um, there's two type of people in, in baseball is the humble people and the people that are about to get humbled. And I do that with my staff. I try to find different dynamics on my staff and you have to delegate. And technology in the last 10 years has exploded. And I am not as up on that as I want to be, but my assistants are their first class in it. and. I think that bridge helps helps us stay relevant is I'm trying to offset my weaknesses and what I'm not as good at with my assistant coaches that are really good at it. And I think it meshes well. Now I coach them on some of the old school stuff that I want to do. 
And to be honest, in the offices, they're teaching me some of the new stuff that is how to use the technology to our advantage. But I think staffing is the way that I get around um, those things to, because a head coach is, it, it's a lot. It, it can be a lot, you know, from totally. off the field issues, discipline to, like you said, I need to meet with facilities because our turf is getting banged up and we need to figure out this to, um, we have a candidate in for a new position and they want me to be a part of the interview process. There's a lot of things that come up and you have to have trustworthy assistants that, that can hold the fort down.